Hello and welcome back to another episode of Wealthy Expat. This week I've got Wealthy co-founder Peter Esho on the show with me again. Peter, how are you? Hey Chris, I'm doing well and uh, you've got me back. I usually do one show a month but you've twisted my arm and here we are and that probably means that either I'm doing two a month now (laughs) or I'm going to take a month off next month. I'll let you decide. You can, yeah, I'll make that decision. Uh, I think it'd be great to get you on again. Why not? It's always good to to hear your uh, valid input and, uh, yeah, always enjoy speaking to you about these topics. So um, how have things been in Australia since we caught up last? It's been about two weeks now, but how's how's everything been going in Australia? Uh, We're still in lockdown. Uh, We're in Sydney. We're about maybe two or three weeks away from life coming back to normal. I'm still working outside. My permanent office is my balcony these days. So I'm getting all the vitamin D. I'm getting um, less stress. And my team tells me that I'm happier. Uh, I'm smiling more. So um, I guess behind every cloud, there's a silver lining. I agree. It's uh, it's probably been good for you. It's almost like a, a break, a break without having a break in a sense. But I think it's done the work. Exactly. Staycation. That's a good way of putting it. Um, Well, Peter, I thought it'd be great to get you on the show today to have a a bit of a chat about what's happening with Evergrande uh, at the moment in China. uh, And I guess it's it's repercussions on the global markets. But from your perspective, what are you seeing in Australia? What are you hearing in Australia at the moment around the situation with Evergrande? This is really, really intriguing because... For those that don't know what's going on, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. Basically, you have China's second largest real estate developer on the brink of collapse, okay? They haven't quite collapsed yet, but they're sort of on the brink. And why are they on the brink? It all comes down to one problem, and that's debt. They have way too much debt. And everyone's looking at this and saying, okay, will this business pay its debts off and will this business survive and what does that look like? But what are the ramifications and what does this tell us about other Chinese real estate companies, conglomerates, businesses in general? So everyone's watching really, really closely to see where this goes. It's it's an interesting one. I haven't stopped reading the news about it since, I guess, it's even been in the news since August, you could say, uh, going back months now. But the last few weeks, it's really started to pile up. And there's some interesting statistics that or just numbers that are coming out. And you don't realize how in debt Evergrande really is until you dig a bit deeper into the numbers. And it's scary. It is scary. It is scary. And (laughs) from their perspective as well, just crazy. Yeah, let's call it crazy. Let's go one step further. You call it interesting. (laughs) I'm saying um, it's It's crazy. Yeah, it is mental. And when you look at one number that really stood out to me for, for, I guess, from now until end of 2022, but having to pay out 7.5, about $7.5 billion in uh, bonds due in 2022 is just an astronomical number for a business that is already uh, struggling quite substantially. So I'm gonna, it's going to be interesting to see how they resolve uh, these issues. And I'm sure you saw uh, overnight and yesterday there was the announcement and they seem to be keeping it quite disclosed at this 
stage, but saying that they've uh, come to an agreement with domestic bondholders. Uh, and I think it was about $35 million uh, that was due in interest payments, but some massive numbers nonetheless. Do you think that this problem with Evergrande is going to be more of a, a China-centric problem, or do you think it will start to have flow-on effects to the global market or the Asian and Australian market? You know, this isn't the first company to have had an issue with debt. And China is not the only economy to have a debt binge problem. We've been struggling as a civilization with debt for thousands of years. If you go back to the ancient Babylonians, they wrote laws, uh, which we found through archaeology, about the consequences of debt. Um, if you go back and have a look at, you know, religions, uh, Christianity banned interest uh, on debt up until uh, the 11th or the 12th century. Um, in, in, in the Islamic world, uh, Sharia compliant finance means you can't actually pay interest around uh, on loans. And if you have a look at the reason why, why humans over history have created all these rules around interest and money, it is because we have blown up with having too much debt. So this isn't something new. But this is happening at a time where China is no longer a fringe or a developing economy. It's number two. And it's happening at a time where the world is now intertwined like never before. We are actually a lot more intertwined today than what we were in 2008 when the United States had its debt problems in housing. And we all know what happened then. Yeah, definitely. So definitely. the thing is, no one knows what happens next. Mm. And that's why geeks and nerds like us who, <laughs> who watch these things uh, are really looking with intrigue. Yeah, no, it's, it is fascinating. It's, I'm just, because we've learned from the past now, and the Lehman Brothers is a prime example of that, as you touched on in the past, and we've seen how, I guess, you know, it is slightly different. It was more around the, the mortgage-backed securities, but the cycle itself is very, very similar to what we did see uh, during the GFC and the Lehman Brothers situation in 2008. Um, so it's going to, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the global economies do respond to it. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, from an international perspective, we don't see too much of an effect in the Western countries or more so you know, the European markets and the, the American markets, you could say. Um, but then we have to remember things like iron ore, for example, it's something that you can probably elaborate a bit more. But ch- China and Australia have some very strong ties when it comes to, to import and exports. And how do you think that's going to res- or how do you think that's going to affect um, our iron ore for Australia's iron ore, for example? Well, look, we can sit here and hypothesize about how uh, a potential blow up will impact this commodity or that commodity. It's not going to be good, by the way. Like the teaser is, um, you know, iron ore is used in the production of steel. And if the biggest developer and the, the fastest growing country is, is having problems, guess what? You're going to need less steel. Um, but the lesson, I actually wrote a blog piece about this this week. Um, and the lesson that I wanted ordinary investors to understand is 
this. When times are good, debt hides a lot of the problems. You know, we all pat ourselves on the back. We all look like experts. We all are fantastic. Yeah. When times are bad, when it comes to the crunch, debt exposes the problems. And that's the lesson here. Markets will adjust. Uh, debt will be restructured. The government will come in, whatever, right? I don't think this is going to be uh, the event that just blows everything up. So don't worry about that. But as an investor, if you're sitting on an uncomfortable amount of debt, you can learn from this. And you can look and see how the big guys, right, in countries that are seen as invincible, in a country with over a billion people, you'd think that a real estate development business providing housing yeah. is a short bet. But when you add debt to the mix and the Chinese economy slows down and you have COVID and lockdowns and all these things, and all of a sudden it's a bit of an uh-oh moment, that's yeah. when it's exposed. Yeah. And so that's the lesson that I want people to take away today. Definitely. I was uh, going back to topic of what well, people about buying real estate in China, for example. And I read something interesting yesterday that said three quarters of people's savings in China have been invested in property uh, in its history. It's, you know, it's what their, it's their number one investment uh, option. They will look for property. And yeah, to think that three quarters of people's savings are, are tucked away in real estate is, a, is an incredible figure. Uh, and then going back to the Evergrande situation, and when you think about three quarters of people's savings, it's in property. And then Evergrande's got 1.5 million unfinished projects where people have paid these deposits. Um, it's going to, I just, I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'm genuinely intrigued to see how it will pan out and how they plan to resolve this uh, situation. So I think as time goes by, as the, the days keep ticking, we'll, we'll continue. I'll tell you how I think, yeah, I'll tell you how I think they'll resolve it. But I think what will yeah. happen is that the Chinese government will come in and in some way, shape or form, bail out yeah. uh, those that lent money to Evergrande. Um, I think foreign investors are going to have a much, much tougher job and they're going to have to lick their wounds and now have losses. I think what will happen after that is that there will be a lot of question marks around foreign investment in China and that will ruffle some feathers. And I think a lot of the hot money that's gone into China will somewhat fizzle out. Now, right. that's got to find a home somewhere else. So you might see, um, you know, that money coming back to Australia, the UK, the US, to Europe, to probably safer jurisdictions. Yeah. Um, and I think what might happen in the long term is that the Chinese government will actually see this mm. as an opportunity to teach the local businesses that have been binging on debt the consequences. Yeah. And a bit of a slap on the wrist, and I hope you learnt your lesson. Yeah, and uh, that's that's, I guess, what we can hope for. Yes, that's, that's me being optimistic and wishful thinking. Now there are going to be people out there that are going to call, you know, call the end of everything. I don't think that will happen. I think the stakes are too big, yeah. and um, I think we learned in two thousand and eight the consequences of letting these things run too early. And as we're doing this, just before we were jump, about to jump on, I checked my phone and I saw that Evergrande's share price is actually up. Yeah. So we've probably hit somewhat of a bottom and it's now time to take the pain. 
I think so. Do you know what uh, what it went? The share price went up to. I saw some figures earlier. I think it was was it five percent or something. It raised from a rise rose sorry overnight. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I just, yeah. I'm just yeah. So what, so what happens, Chris, is in markets, um, usually the stock market is a very good indicator of the future. Okay, so when you see stocks diving, it's not necessarily what's happened to the business in the past or today, but what the market anticipates in the future. And Evergrande's share price has been absolutely decimated, right? It's it's down 90% over the past few years. And it's now at a point where a lot of the bad news is priced in. So any hint, any glimpse that things are about to improve, you'll see the share price bounce. But um, I don't think it's going to be the same kind of bounce that we saw last year, for example, when we had COVID and we had the sharpest dip, you know, in the US, your airlines, not just in the US, but in most countries, your airlines dipped, your banks dipped, everything dipped. And then three weeks later, we had what's called a V-shape recovery. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see a V-shape in Evergrande. I think there are still going to be a lot of investors cautious and starting to step away and saying, okay, China is a very different market um, for us to invest in. And maybe we'll sit on the sideline or go back to what we know and let this sort itself out. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Well, uh, I'm, I'm generally intrigued to, to see how it pans out. And this morning there was also more reports about HSBC and UBS um, saying that they seem to have smoothed some things over with their their bondholders as well. But I just, uh, I just every day there's a, there's a new article. There seems to be a new story to it, a new uh, you know a solution, and then it's it's gone backwards and, and back and forth. But we'll see what happens in terms of the what we are seeing with Evergrande at the moment, and and relating it back to Australia and how it might affect Australia. But do you think it might make lenders a bit more cautious in Australia in terms of developers with lending capabilities? It might lower the amount that they might be able to borrow? Yeah, I think um, the good lenders know that real estate development is very risky to lend to. And a lot of people think, um, you know, real estate development is where you make the big bucks and real estate developers roll around and, you know, um, you know, buckets full of, of money, but real estate development is very difficult because you've got to put all your money in upfront and then you have to build, construct, deliver, and then you get paid right at the end. So usually the development cycle is about four years. And, you know, for four years, developers are basically waiting to get paid and then they get, you know, a whole heap of money right at the end. What a lot can happen in those four years. And that's just one project, but imagine you've got like 50 projects with different timelines. And so what's been happening in Australia and in the UK is banks, particularly the big banks that got burnt in 2008, have stepped back and started to de-risk their exposure and their lending to real estate development. Now, banks have come out of that space, but private lending, private investors, Uh, family offices, you know, you're smaller, the next tier below the big banks, they've been filling that void. They've been saying, oh, well, the bank won't lend to the developer. I'll lend to the developer. And the money looks good. I think there'll be a little bit of a shakeout there. And I think, you know, that 
that is an indication of the banks got it right and everybody that got overexcited is going to be a little bit nervous now for the six, next six to 12 months. Sure. For ordinary investors and particularly those that follow our podcasts and look at our business, I think what this all indicates is that the cost of funding for developers is going to go up, raw materials, prices are unlikely to come down. And so as the real estate development uh, business starts to get a bit harder, developers are gonna push their prices up and that's gonna have upward pressure on property prices in an already inflated market. Okay, it's a good way of pushing it, a very good way of pushing it. And something that you might be able to elaborate on a bit more, but when I was reading uh, an article yesterday about Evergrande and, and how they acquire their property, um, and something I didn't know, but in China, it's it's almost normal or it is normal to take, you know, I think it's a 70 year lease on the land that you're you want to develop on. Uh, you'll raise the money for, you know, you, you'll get the, the deposits essentially uh, from your clients. Evergrande will then hold that deposit. They'll go and fund the development or they'll go and fund uh, more sites. But yes, yeah, something that stood out to me yesterday was the fact that they don't actually own the land itself. It's all just a leasehold on that parcel of land, which I guess doesn't help Evergrande's situation, but uh, it's just interesting to, to know. Well, well, Chris, China's a very different market. You know, yeah. private property ownership is very different to what we have in the West. Um, when I buy a house or a property here, I have that title. I own, it's called freehold. Yeah. Um, so as much as practically possible, uh, I have direct ownership to that. So China, you need to create these leasehold agreements because the underlying holder uh, or the underlying owner of not just the land, but all assets is very, very different. So it's not uncommon to see these things in China and the Middle East, for example, in, in more closed economies. And that explains why people in China, in Russia, in the Middle East, spend crazy amounts of money to buy real estate in London, yeah. in Singapore, True. in Sydney. And it is, it is only when we understand how it works there that we can appreciate why they come and pay the huge money to invest in the markets that we operate in. It's interesting. So uh, yeah, it's interesting. I guess in the UK, uh, as an example, though, we've got, it's interesting how it's split up because we've got leaseholds and then we've got freeholds. And uh, it's, yeah, it's it's not a 70 year lease. It's generally a, a 99 year lease to, to the Queen. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to, you know, you've got these different ways of, of holding real estate these days and, and how those leaseholds work and, and the free, the difference between the leasehold and the freehold. But nonetheless, it's, uh, it's interesting. Now, Going back to Australia, and this is more around interest rates and mortgage rates and, and uh, costs as well, but do you think that there'll be an effect on interest rates in Australia off the back of what we're seeing? I don't think so. I think um, if we don't have contagion, so if we don't have this spillover that I spoke about that we had in 2008, and if things are ring-fenced and contained and pain is local, it's not systemic, then I think that the central bank here and in the UK and in the US are going to determine interest rates based on what's happening at home. So um, okay. I think interest rates uh, set by, by, by central banks are going to remain. Um, but then again, you know, as we spoke about lending to developers and, you know, the individual types of lending, there will be some risk priced into that. Okay. 
No, that's uh, that's good. I think uh, a couple of big weeks ahead for, for Evergrande. I think there'll be a couple more big announcements. I'm going to have the notifications on keeping an eye out, seeing what's yeah. happening. Yeah, if you've got nothing better to do in your life like us, uh, <laughs> dump onto Google and, and set yourself a little a daily a little notification. Reminder, uh, yeah. But we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm, yeah, I hope that a solution is is resolved, and I think we'll uh, we'll see what's going to happen over the next few weeks. I think there'll be a decision at least over the next few weeks, whether it will be resolved or not. We've probably got a little bit longer to go, but um, nonetheless, things are happening, and uh, yeah, something to keep an eye on for sure. I want to know if uh, what's really intriguing me at the moment is the fact that the government is saying that they aren't prepared or they haven't been prepared to step in and bail them out. Uh, you know, and could you see, could you see the Chinese government coming back? I know you touched on it at the start, but could you see them come, you know, putting their hand up and saying, we will come and step in and, and help you or bail you out in a sense. Chris, I'm a, I'm a dad of three kids. And when my children are doing something wrong, I try to teach them a lesson. True. But if something happens, um, if a push comes to shove, I'm going to step in and help them. And it's not just China, but you know, in, in most large economies, um, businesses that behave poorly at some points do get bailed out in some way, shape, or form. Not all of them, but the ones that are really, really big that cause problems. But, you know, if I put myself in, in, in the shoes of the Chinese government, it's just such a large economy. And there's just so many issues Definitely. where if you're seen as bailing out the second largest developer yeah. that was splashing, you know, billions of dollars and, on yeah. football sponsorship and electric car ventures and all these fancy things and you drive past and you see their buildings... Imagine what message it sends to the taxi driver or the person working in a restaurant who wants a couple of extra bucks. So it's a balancing act. They have to be seen as teaching the lesson, yeah. but they also have to step in if it gets too bad. Yeah. And um, that's really what, what we're seeing in, in China at the moment. The Chinese are uh, facing the same issues that the Western economies have, have faced when they were growing. You know, in the US, we had a blow up in 1929 where the central bank didn't want to, 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 to help and the, we had the Great Depression and then they came in and overcorrected. 2008, the government had to come in and, and bankroll the banks. Last year, the, the governments all around the world would just splash cash through job programs. So this is, this is part of an ongoing process. Okay. No, that's a, a good point, a good way of putting it. And I liked your, <laughs> like your analogy about the kids as well. That is a, a very good way of putting it. It makes it seem, uh, you know, you read all these articles and you, it's all these big words and, and economic terms and sayings. And uh, <laughs> for some of the people that might be listening, it, sometimes it's good to have it in a, a more simple uh, approach. So definitely. Well, I think that, uh, that's a good wrap up of what's been happening in China for now. Uh, maybe in a couple of weeks time, we'll have to catch up again. And, and if there's an update, we can have a bit of a discussion once again and run through it. But Peter, it's been great to have you on the show today. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed hearing your insights and opinions on, on the matter. And yeah, uh, we'll, well, I'll be uh, staring at my phone and computer <laughs> waiting for the next notification to come through, as I'm sure a lot of people will be. But uh, thank yeah. you again, mate. No worries. No worries, Chris. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for taking on board such a heavy 
such a heavy topic. Yeah. Um, you know, these things are, you and I spoke about how to approach this before, before we started the podcast and we didn't want it to be an academic explanation. We want it to, to be as light as possible, but enlightening. Um, so I think we've hit all the points and, um, and yeah, good job. Thanks for having me on. I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking next month off. <laughs> all right, you got. <laughs> I'm going to see you in November. Special guest appearance in November. Looking forward Thanks to it. All right, thank you for everyone that's tuned in today. Uh, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed what Peter and I discussed today. And we look forward to uh, presenting the next podcast to you. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>